for today is from the book of Numbers, chapter 25, verses 1 through 9, and can be found on page 5 in your church bulletin. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in the broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may be turn, may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. Then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. I'm a little hesitant to say this, but the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You have to admire honesty. Because at our first service, our reader could not say those words. You know, is it? Yeah. So, thus the struggle that we have with some of the things that are in the Old Testament. Amen? I mean, that is the series that we're in. That's what we started and decided to talk about for a period of time, with some of those topics that are in the Old Testament in particular that kind of make us stop and think. We get to them, we read them. They don't necessarily make sense to us as a modern people because we don't think in these terms and in these concepts. We don't believe civilized society acts in these kinds of ways. And so we get to these moments in the Old Testament, we read them, and then we wonder what in the world are we supposed to do with these things, these stories that we read. We're talking about these in kind of some thematic topics. Last week we talked about genocide as it is portrayed in the Old Testament, what that means, what the pictures and the images were. And At the 8.30 service, we had a sermon on it. You can catch it online. For those of you that came to the 10 a.m. service last week and heard Jimmy White speak, if you want to go back and listen, you're more than welcome to. But one of the things that we uncovered or discovered in reading the scriptures is that the English translation of the scriptures sometimes misses the mark. And one of the words that's in there is a Hebrew word that is harem. And in it, it means that God is demanding of the people a religious purity. And when it came to the land, the land was to be religiously pure as well. God called them to be God's people, to worship God alone, to have no other gods at all. And so for them to be able to do that, God meant for the land that they occupied to also be religiously pure. 
When it talks about these things going on in the battles, it was over idolatry and the fact that the people living in the land didn't want to give up their idols. And yet God needed for the land to be a pure place for the people to inhabit and dwell. And so that's the whole aspect of what goes on when you think about genocide. It's not about ethnic cleansing. It's about God's people being religiously pure and the land being pure as well. So I'd encourage you to go and listen to that sermon from last week on it. This week we're tackling the issue of exclusivity in the Old Testament. This image of you shall be my people and I shall be your God. And what that meant in the Old Testament and what it means for us today. Particularly as a church where one of our core values is is that we believe that God's love, God's sacrificial love, is all-inclusive. It is a love that is for everyone in the world. And that we as the church, we're supposed to live in the power of that sacrificial love and we're supposed to make it known in the world around us. We believe that no one is exempt from God's love and concern. And thus we as the church should ensure that we are open, open to all, that they might experience God's love, might experience God's concern for them, for anyone who's seeking it, which is difficult. Because we also know that we live in a world that can be exclusive and not as inclusive as we want it to be. To live in a world that's still segregated and excluded in many, many ways. How many of you have ever been excluded from a group or an activity? Or ever felt like you were unwelcomed or not wanted? This is a moment where you can raise your hands, right? Those of you who don't raise your hands, you must have been the excluded. So that means everybody's hand ought to go up, right? I remember junior high and high school, I loved gym class and I hated gym class, right? Anybody in my little club there? Loved gym class, hated gym class? Anybody? I loved gym class because of the physical activity. Now, I was actually blessed with a little bit of coordination and athletic prowess as a youth. I could play most any sport that I wanted to play as a young person. But I hated gym class because I was not one of the blessed with popularity kids. I know, hard to believe, right? I was not a popular kid in school. Now think with me about the games that we used to play in gym class when we were younger. The games they used to let you play, kickball and dodgeball. Back in the days when we really weren't worried about kids getting concussions from getting hit in the head with a ball, right? We'd throw them at one another. And because I was not popular, I was never selected to be a team captain, which means I was never the one that got to pick my team. I was always one of the kids sitting on the bleachers waiting to be picked. And if you remember the strategy, you know, when you're a junior high in high school, you always want to pick the strongest team because you want to win, right? And so you always pick the best kids first, and then you figured out who's going to divvy up the rest of us as you go, right? And so I remember those days of sitting on the bleacher, wondering when I was finally going to get selected. Even though I was athletic, I wasn't popular enough to be in the early part of that. Now, when I reached later age in in high school and college age, I I remember my youth director would ask me to lead certain things within the youth department. Some of it was activities that were games and and stuff like that. And and I remember trying to consciously think about this and what it meant to be a little bit more inclusive. Now, was I perfect at it? No means. By no means was I ever. But I do remember that if I was ever one that had to try to select folks, I wanted to be a little bit more inclusive 
of people and make it a little bit better than what I experienced so that people didn't feel like they were left out, the last that was in the crowd. The unfortunate thing of it today is we all know that we still live in a society that's still broken and fractured. It's still exclusive in some of its ways. It's gone on since the beginning of humanity when God rejected Cain's offering and accepted Abel. It is still going on even today in some of the things that we are a part of. Several years ago, Margaret and I had the opportunity to visit the new Mormon temple that's in North Kansas City. Did any of you get a chance to go through it when it was open for its open houses? Several of you did. Beautiful architectural structure. It is a fascinating place to be able to walk through. Their idea of a worship center is much different than our idea. And the things that they focus on are different than ours. They don't have a large sanctuary like this. They have other elements. One of the most fascinating things I remember seeing was their baptismal pool, which was a big glass bowl pool that was clear, and it sat on top of six bronze-cast oxen underneath it. It's two stories tall, their baptismal pool. It's a beautiful spectacle to be able to see and to realize and to witness. But one of the things that was interesting is there's two entrances to the Mormon temple, and they each have a desk. And when they were done with all of their touring, they closed the temple, they dedicated it, which meant that only people that had their temple recommendation card could get into the temple from there on out. Did you get that term? Temple recommendation card. It's a literal card. And when you came to the desk, you had to be able to show your temple recommendation card. Oh, there you guys are. So that somebody could be able to verify that you were able to get into the temple. Every year, your ward president would verify that you were eligible to be able to go into the temple. Think about exclusionary kinds of practices. Now, the Mormons aren't the only ones that have their exclusionary practices, right? For most of you who grew up Catholic, you might uh, might remember being recommended that you marry somebody who was Catholic, right? Now, the Catholics weren't the only ones that did that, though. I grew up in a Baptist tradition that believed that you should marry within the tradition so that you were not unequally yoked with someone. Whatever in the world that meant, right? You think about it. But that was part of our tradition. We Methodists, we don't have anything like that. We're we're open to everybody, any kind of thing. But but you think about even communion. In certain parts of our tradition, communion is an open table. We Methodists practice an open table where all are welcome to come and receive God's gifts of love and grace. Other traditions, though, have a closed table. It is only the community, the members, who are welcome. The exclusive practices that we have in our religion. Culturally, we do this as well, right? We might remember the days back when you didn't marry between races. The early 1960s. How many of you remember the movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Right? Sidney Poitier, Catherine Houghton, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn. The controversy over interracial marriage of the early 1960s in that movie. Or do you remember when Sidney Poitier kissed his white co-star on the screen? And they showed that at a time where that was not the norm. I can imagine sitting in the movie theater and some of the gasp that might have come out from people. The mid-1960s. It was considered indecent, unfathomable interracial marriage at the time. 
But it doesn't just happen there. That's not the line that, that we want to draw, right? There's other ways in which we are exclusionary in our society. I happen to enjoy a little sport called golf. And jokingly, golf stands for, anybody know? Gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. That's the joke. Now, it's not true. That's not what golf stands for. But that is, that is the kind of the, the classic line around or the assumption about it, right? You think about the conversations that we're having as a society between exclusion and inclusion and what it means for us. We're having conversations about bathrooms and wedding cakes and gender, gender conversations and, and on and on, the ways in which we exclude, the ways in which we try to include. And maybe that's why it's tough for us, these experiences that we have from our past and our present. And they're driving us to think about what it means for us to reject exclusion so that we might be more inclusive as a society. It causes us to take kind of a relativistic approach to some things, right? Live free and let others be. Allie's got a phrase, and she uses this periodically. You might have heard her say this, but she says, I don't care if you do as long as you don't care if I don't. Get that? Right? The kind of relativism of how we live. The desire for all people to feel included. Think about our schools and our universities and how they're going through this process of being sensitive to inclusion. Youth sports programs and how they want to make all children feel like they're participating and valued and a part of it. Our military and how it's adopted practices for full inclusion of women and gays and lesbians, the conversations that we are having in our society to broaden inclusion, the conversations we're having in our own denomination regarding full inclusion, on and on and on, this drive to make everybody feel valued, accepted, and included, which makes it doubly difficult when we get to the Old Testament and we read scriptures about the exclusive relationship between God and Israel. Last week, again, note that in the conversation, we understood that God was not being ethnically exclusive in God's selection of Israel and the granting of land. It was not about the elimination of part of the human community in the Old Testament. It was not about ethnic war. It was solely about religious identity. God called a covenant community to live in a monotheistic relationship with Yahweh him to be the theocratic head of their state, and for them to be uniquely shaped in such a way that they would then bless all the rest of the world. Did you get that? For Israel to be uniquely shaped in such a way that they blessed all the rest of the world. That's part of the theme that we miss when we read the Old Testament. God desired for Israel to be exclusive in their practices of worship, in their cultural identity, in their community life, and in their relationship with their neighbors. God wanted them to be a covenant community with God, faithful to that covenant so God could use them to bless the world around them. God wanted them to help all the rest of the world understand what it meant to be liberated from false worship and the worship of idols, to be liberated from war and strife and starvation, to be liberated so that peace and unity might come to the whole human family, all of God's creation. Unfortunately, the children of Israel couldn't keep that covenant. Right? You remember that God liberates them from Egypt, and not shortly after that, long, not long after that, they're at Mount Sinai, 
And Moses is gone for a certain period of time. And what do they do? What's their first sin that they commit? An idol. They convince Aaron to craft for them a golden calf and they begin to worship an idol in that moment. And God's punishment was is that they must wander for 40 years in the wilderness so the adult generation that led the people into sin might die in the wilderness because they would not enter the promised land. It would be the next generation that would inherit that promise that God had made, that covenant. Forty years have passed by. They have wandered. All the adults have basically passed off the scene except for Caleb and Joshua, the two faithful spies from the early generation. Those two are left in their families, right? Now they're at the banks of the Jordan right across from the city of Jericho and they've settled down near this little town called Shatam. And they are there as the people living. They begin to integrate a little bit with those that are around them. They begin to marry Moabite women and fall into idolatry and idolatrous practices with them. Another man violates the wilderness temple by having an inappropriate relationship with a Midianite woman on the temple grounds. And we see this exclusive call of God on this people of God result in some harsh punishment, according to the writers of the Scripture trying to form a people for God's purposes. God says that I'm a jealous God. God says that by being a part of this and being part of this sin, you are subverting my call for you as God's people. The exclusive relationship between God and Israel was intended to bless all the world. Intended for God's love to come out. And yet God's plan wasn't thwarted, we know that, because we get the advantage of reading also the New Testament, and what God's story continues to unfold and become. We know that through the lineage of Abraham, eventually God becomes flesh, dwells among us in the form of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus becomes the fulfillment of this perfect covenant that God has in mind, and through Jesus, God's inclusive love is made known in the world. And we as the church are the benefactors of that. That relationship between God and Christ and now us. It forms a covenant. What we call the new covenant. We use this language in our own liturgy for Holy Communion, right? It is one in which we are reborn by the water and the spirit, this covenant. This covenant is one that binds us in unity with one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. Binds us in unity also with God. And should bind us in unity with the world. It's inclusive in its nature. The covenant is to fulfill what God has brought forth in Christ. That we are supposed to be the ones now who also go out in words and deeds and begin down to break down down the barriers of exclusion that exist in our world. We're supposed to go out to the poor, the oppressed, and the powerless and to announce God's reign that is among us. We are to go and bind wounds that have existed and that exclude. As most of you know, Margaret and I were in Colorado a a couple weeks ago. And we were out there for Sarah Jones's wedding. Lowry and Laura were kind enough to invite us. Tim and Sarah asked me to officiate. And so we went out to Colorado and enjoyed some time with their family and a beautiful venue for the wedding. We left Vail a couple of Sundays ago. And instead of going straight back across Kansas, we'd already seen enough of Kansas on our trip. Instead of going straight back across Kansas, we decided to go north and up through Wyoming and South Dakota and then back down and around. So we took a couple of extra days and kind of went on a circuitous trip home. 
Right? So we drove on Sunday out through Colorado and just about every backwards highway Colorado possibly has. Right? I looked at the map and it said that to get to Devil's Tower in Wyoming, you could go straight over to Denver, right north on the highway, and in about six and a half hours you could be pretty close to Devil's Tower. Oh no, Lowry Jones says you need to drive through the mountains. Don't ever listen to Lowry Jones. Because it was nine and a half, almost ten hours later by the time we got to Devil's Tower. Right? But we got the Devil's Tower in Wyoming. We walked around. We had the opportunity to see all that was going on there. It was a beautiful afternoon. And then after that, we went from Devil's Tower over to Deadwood. We spent the night in Deadwood. Hang on, Michael. It gets better than that. <laughs> so the next morning we get up and from Deadwood we drive over to Sturgis. Did you do that? Oh, good night. So from Sturgis we went to Mount Rushmore. And then we went to Crazy Horse. Did you drive Custer State Park? Oh, well, okay. So, actually we did a couple things different than Michael and Crystal did. We also went to Crazy Horse, and we went through Custer State Park. And then we spent the night in Rapid City. Now, I tell you that story because I want to go back to a moment of our trip, and it was at Crazy Horse. While we were at Crazy Horse and, and kind of wandering around a little bit of the grounds, uh, they have a, uh, every day they kind of have a, a demonstration, a performance. A Native American and his wife comes out, and they do traditional dances. But what's interesting is they also take a moment to kind of talk about the Lakota culture and to talk about their current community as it exists. And it was pretty interesting to listen to this gentleman speak and his traditional dance. And he still, in, in his words, you can hear the pain of exclusion that persists in the Native American community. He talked a lot about the practices of Native American life as it is formed through their tradition and their life. The respect that people had for the land and how it provided for their needs and how they worshipped as a people. But he also talked about the devastation of living in concentration camps. That was his words. We call him a reservation. As a Native American, he called it a concentration camp. And it began to make me wonder just a little bit, you know, what would it feel like if a group of people all of a sudden moved into Overland Park or Leewood or Prairie Village or Brookside and forced all of us out of our homes and put us on a little parcel of land that was good for nothing. How would we feel in that moment? I think if there's anyone in our society today that we might owe a debt to, I would argue that it's the Native Americans of our land who we've isolated on reservations, and that we as white, privileged, powerful Christians can be sometimes complicit in the exclusion that still goes on, and yet can also be powerful agents of God's love to try to figure out how to build that human community through our efforts with them. And as I said last week, we had a great time with Pastor White here in town. We had a great time at our Mission Service and Justice Barbecue. It was a wonderful event. We raised a little over $3,000. I think that's commendable. But I also believe it's just a nice start. That there's so much more that we as a community can do to express God's inclusive love to our partners at Ponca Indian United Methodist Church in White Eagle, right? For us to be able to continue to break down some of the barriers of exclusion, 
to form that new community, to be a part of that new community that's breaking down those barriers. Because, friends, I do not believe that God formed us to be an exclusive little club. Did you get that? St. John's is not an exclusive little club. Solely here for the needs of our members. I believe we should be a powerful agent of God. The powerful agent of God's inclusive love in the world. A love that breaks down those barriers. A love that seeks to include the marginalized. That heals hearts and binds the wounds of our past and our present. To be a community of grace and love. That spends the majority of our time living in a new covenant. Because I believe God's calling all of us, all of us, to a new covenant. A covenant that is exclusive. That God invites every single one of us to give our hearts exclusively to God. Nothing else. To give our hearts and our lives solely to God. So that through His grace it might infiltrate us to be an inclusive community filled with His love. To go to our neighbor go beyond our neighborhoods and to transfer, to transform, to transmit God's love, inclusive love to all people. So what's that going to require of us today, friends? I think in a couple of things, number one, some of us might just simply celebrate. That's, that's a practice of ours. That is our life. That is our journey. We believe in the power of us. So every action and every activity we consciously try to figure out how to be inclusive and how to share God's inclusive love. That's a goal in our lives. And so celebrate that today. For others of us, that might be something that's a little bit of a challenge. So today might be a day for us to think about repentance and a day to commit ourselves to that new covenant with God. To make God solely the center of our hearts and our lives in a powerful and transforming way so that we might go forth and share the inclusive love of God in the world. Would you join me now for a moment of prayer? Gracious and holy God, as we come before you in this moment, we are thankful, O God, for your love and for your grace, made known in Jesus Christ, how you have included us as a people in that covenant that you have made, have welcomed us. O Lord, help us to become exclusive to you, that our hearts might be centered solely upon you as our God, that our lives might be given fully to you as your servants, that your spirit might fully inhabit us, that we might be your vessels in this world. Help us to be inclusive in our reach to all people, our neighbors, and the world beyond. And especially, our partnership with White Eagle. Lord, use us in a powerful way. A powerful way that we might, in all of our lives and in all of our days, communicate your inclusive love to all. For we know that is what will transform the world into your kingdom of peace and unity. We pray these things in the name of your Son, our Savior.